and welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. One defeat and a victory for Rovers to go through on this week's podcast. I'm, of course, joined by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? I am succumbing to a cold at the moment, so I'm battling like Rovers in the second half last night. So, um, you know, well, we we can't say that, can we? But um, yeah, I am fighting for full fitness. Person flu, I think we have to say, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's touch and go. But if I can get match fit for Saturday, ready to travel down to Southampton, that's my sole objective at the moment. But I am not a good patient because I make the whole household known that I'm poorly. So I think I'm really like that. Of me already. I don't yeah. get ill very often. I've got quite a good immune system. So when it happens, it's not good for everyone else. I'm quite that's a whingy, exactly I'm quite I'm a like. whingy, poorly person. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll compare notes on that one. But apart from that, I am doing well. Uh, I'm sure on the countdown. that last night's victory warmed your cockles anyway and got you, uh, hopefully gave you a little bit of a spring this morning. We will, of course, reflect first on the Leeds United defeat at the weekend. Um, 2-1, of course, 2-0, uh, sorry, at Ewood Park. Um, quite an even game, I thought, overall. But once again, separated in both boxes. There wasn't much between the teams, as I say, in regards to sort of like passages of play, build up, possession. Fort Rovers had some really good moves. They got into some good areas, good territory, good final third entries, but they didn't get that final pass right. They didn't even, it wasn't even a case of where they created loads of clear cut chances and missed them like they've done in the games against Leicester and Ipswich, um, who I'm sort of bracketing with Leeds as the three best teams in the division quite clearly. Um, they just didn't get that final third. They didn't test Meslier anywhere near enough for the amount of good positions they got themselves in. But they were dangerous and sort of in the game throughout, but they weren't deadly, unlike Leeds. And, and I think their first goal was a really good illustration of what they had in the final third, which Blackburn just don't have. Uh, Jorginho Ruta completely cocked up his skill first and foremost before battling the ball back from James Hill. And Ruta fed the ball out wide to Dan James. It's a brilliant finish touch shift through the legs of Harry Pickering. It's hard, it's low, it's like an arrow and it's into the bottom corner. And quite simply, Rovers just don't have that sort of quality in the final third. Brilliant, brilliant strike. We are talking about a player that's got circa 100 appearances in the Premier League. And that was the clinical, brutal nature of Leeds, which pretty much was the story of this game. Yeah, last week I, I, you know, said that I thought Leeds would have us at arm's length, and ultimately that's how it panned out, isn't it? And we always make a good account of ourselves, and and we always, you know, get the plaudits from the opposition managers. You know, Daniel Farker before the game was very respectful, and and after the game he was respectful as well. So we absolutely showed a good account of ourselves. But here is the difference between the top of the Championship, bottom of the Premier League, and clubs like Rovers that have been slogging it out for a number of years because. You need that bit of quality to to beat Leeds at home. You need that bit of quality uh, in the final third, as you say. And, and ultimately, the, the Leeds goal was case in point on that. So it was disappointing to go one down because, you know, we say it every week on the pod, but for Rovers to beat Leeds, we would have had to have gone 1-0 up in that game. So there was that air of inevitability when the goal went in. Um, you know, I was hoping we could keep it 0-0 for, for longer and, and maybe sneak a 1-0 like what Sunderland did last night. Um, but ultimately, you know, Leeds have got the stronghold in the game. That's exactly what they want. 1-0 up at half-time, shooting into the Darwin end. And sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say there's an element of quality. And, and that's exactly how I'm reading that first goal, because he's still got to do a lot to beat Walshtet from there. Um, 
and as you say, it's it's a remarkable finish and and fantastic from Dan James. So yeah, disappointing one, bit of a sucker punch the way it happened, but um, you know, it was it was tough from here on in, wasn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That that was pretty much Jon Jon's assessment after the game as well. That he thought his team were in the game. Arms length is probably the right way of phrasing it as well, um, because they just didn't work the goalkeeper anywhere near enough. Probably the best route to goal was a couple of penalty appeals. The first of which a hand potential handball by Pascal Stroik. Um, was it a penalty? It definitely hits his hand. Whether it's um, whether there's there's enough intention there. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's a stone wall penalty. The second one, Jake Garrett down the box, um, looked like a penalty on first instance. But both Jon and those that have seen replays afterwards thought that wasn't the case. Um, I say they were probably Rovers' best sort of moments in the game where they got into dangerous areas. And in the second half, they had a lot of territory. They had a lot of the ball. Leeds were quite happy to sort of sit back and and soak up pressure which they didn't do in the first half so they did they, you know they paid a lot of respect to Rovers but ultimately they didn't force Meslier in, into enough saves in fact it wasn't until the 80th minute and um, that really Arna Sigurdsson's header troubled the goalkeeper for Leeds and, and that was at 2-0 already so again it's just frustration of getting into the right areas but not not unlocking that defence not having the final pass. And there is the inherent danger in going 1-0 down at, at half-time because Leeds could absolutely afford to do that, couldn't they, uh, in the second half? And, and crucially, they've got the quality at the back and in midfield to to soak in that manner. And then you layer on top the tiredness that is clearly evident within this Rover squad at the moment. You know, you need to hit those levels. You need that extra 1, 2, 3, 4, 5% to, to obviously fashion those chances. So, um, yeah, it was that's why I was worried about the 1-0 the at half-time because... Leeds were, were clearly comfortable to sit on that. And I remember you saying last week, you know, Leeds dangerous on that transition. We'll, we'll come on to the second goal in a moment. That is case in point with how it scored. But just on the penalty shouts, um, I think you're right with your assessment there. And do you know what? I'll just um, I'll just really respect Jon for coming out and saying that that second one wasn't a penalty. You know, some managers will sit there and get with the correct narrative, I should say, of slagging off EFL refs. But for him to come out and say one wasn't a penalty, I, I've got a lot of respect for that. And then the second one for me is just, a, or, or the handball one that you're talking about, sorry, is just, you know, we're all confused about this handball law at the moment, are we? When is it handball? When's it not? Throw in VAR in the Premier League. Sometimes it's given, sometimes it's not. It's not one that I'm screaming it's a penalty for. It's a hopeful one because you know that, Rovers are 1-0 down and, and as you say, we're recognising that that's our chance to get back in the game. So it's not one I'm sat there thinking, oh, that absolutely was a penalty. Like Chelsea away, for example, when we were absolutely robbed of that decision. Yeah. And obviously that could have panned out so differently that game had we got that penalty. I'm not sat there with that bitter taste in the mouth, so to speak. So hopeful rather than expecting, I would say, on that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's the sort of decision where I think if it's your team you you're asking for it and probably if you're the defending team you're probably saying nah get away that's not not a penalty I don't know how much intent there was ultimately but the ball did strike his hand and, and took it out for a corner so definitely worth an appeal the second goal as you spoke about well both goals were sort of counter-attack transitional moments which leads just so devastating in um Somerville was up for player of the month with Sam Smodix he was the clear informed danger man but if you don't stop him, then you get hit by James, you get hit by Perot, Ruta. 
they've got so much in that front four. Um, it was a really nice move, in fairness. little one-two from Archie Gray, and he slid Somerville in. Um, watching live, I'd not really seen... I was just, I, I was sort of typing away, looked up and, and saw this big gap, so I wasn't really sure where James Hill had gone. Uh, in fairness to him on the replay, he's clearly hobbling and trying to get back into position, but it's a massive, massive gap left on that side. And you, you just can't do that against Leeds or you'll get punished. And once he's in on goal, it's a really nice finish lifting it over Walstead. Bit similar to the Dewsbury Hall goal where he he sort of sat Walstead down and lifted it over him for Leicester as well. And a little bit unfortunate by the fact he'll couldn't get back, but that that's the risk you go. I, I always felt that if Rovers were going to get something, and I thought they could get a draw potentially, um, they would have to score first because you can't chase a game against the side like Leeds with the pace and the the quality they've got on the counter attack. Absolutely, and even if it was no nil at half time, the way that that second goal transpired is the moment that Leeds are hoping for. Because you know, if it was no nil at half time, there would have been that onus on Rovers to to go for it at, at the Blackburn end and things. And and as I mentioned last week, with the seven thousand Leeds fans in the Darwin end, they're always going to be sucking that ball in. So. Do you know what? Good sides at the top of divisions, they exploit you, they punish you and, and they're clinical. And and I think, again, it's just another one where we have to hold our hands up and say, with that, with James Hill hobbling, they've spotted the opportunity to to play those passes, play that move. And, and really intelligent from Somerville as well, just to hang out on that left-hand side. Um, obviously, take the ball well and, and it's a cool finish. You know, it's a man in form, in, in confidence and... And sadly, game over at that point, despite our best endeavours and, and intentions. So, um, yeah, it's not a surprising result for me, Elliot. It's, I'm not surprised with the way the game panned out because Leeds were in red-hot form and, and our squad has been tired and, and struggling recently. But um, one that where, again, we can still have an element of pride in defeat um, with what we do with between both boxes, with, with the way that we try and play the game, with the positivity that JDT has and his approach to games. So there's still, um, you know, Leeds haven't come there and battered us, have they? It's it's just been one of them where the quality shows, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I, when you look at the table, um, it tells its own story, doesn't it? Like the top four, but particularly the top three. And obviously we are recording this after Leeds lost in midweek to Sunderland. Um, they've been too good for most of the teams in championship. And all the games when you've come away from, you know, Leicester at home, Portman Road, this game at the weekend, the common theme has been that Rovers have been able to match them, certainly for sort of 70% of the pitch, but in both boxes, particularly the final third, that's where the difference has been. And that's why Rovers are going to be trying to get into fifth and sixth spot. And that's why the top four feels pretty locked off already, even at this stage of the season with only 21 games played. Yeah, definitely. It's been the recurring theme, hasn't it, of, of what we've been talking about. And we've had it before when Rovers have been trying to chase playoff spots and, and promotion pushes, particularly when we were first relegated into the championship, you know, that kind of 12, 13, 14 season territory. Teams at the top just have that knack of to just keep winning and winning and winning, which puts the pressure on the sides below. Um, and obviously we can't afford to slip up. And the added dynamic that this top four have is everyone's beating each other below the top four. So if they keep winning and winning their games in the way that they are, when we're all beating each other below them, it's widening that gap. So it's helpful, though, to to have this clarity at this point in the season, because then, as, as I say, you can plan a season around, OK, we're going for fifth or sixth. What do we want to do? I'm not expecting that top four to drop off as, as annoying as Ipswich are. Let's give them their due. Um so, yeah, it is just a sign of the quality of the division at the moment. And Rovers sadly can't compete with that. So there's no point chasing rainbows, uh, rainbows in that regard. 
Yeah, after 20 championship games, Leicester City have made the best ever start to a league season. Um, that's quite annoying for Ipswich because they've made the second best start in championship history. But of course, they're in the same league as uh, as Leicester, who are right, right high at the top. For as good leads have been, ultimately there's now 10 points between second and third, which is pretty bonkers to say the quality um, that leads have shown over the last sort of 10, 11, 12 games. Right, let's move on to slightly more positive things. Bristol City, a 2-1 win for Blackburn Rovers. They needed a response after back-to-back defeats to Yorkshire opposition. I thought the game was really slow to start with. Um, both teams quite laboured, not laboured, but both um, both quite poor, lacking quality, giving it away, loose touches in the final third. And it wasn't until the best moment of the game, which brought, obviously, the deadlock, uh, which broke the deadlock. Lovely little touch around the corner from Sam Smodix, but there's still a lot to do for Arna Sigurdsson. It's behind him. He gathers it in his stride. Brilliant take and a brilliant finish. And that's something that we need to see more of from Sigurdsson, who probably might be the best finisher at the club. I know Sam Smodix has scored a lot of goals, but in terms of ice coldness going for on goal, I've seen from Sigurdsson, he's probably probably the most composed finisher because Smodix has a lot of chances. You know, he scored a lot, but he has missed quite a few as well. And to me, it seems quite clear that he's he's a confidence player, Sigurdsson. The best performances, that's the best performance we've seen from him since the Queen's Park Rangers game, where he was fantastic. In the last sort of six weeks, he's been really quiet, almost anonymous in some games. But you could see he was visibly lifted by the goal last night, which was a really brilliant piece of quality. And hopefully that will now kickstart another good run of form like we saw when he first came into the team. Yeah, um, definitely. I think um, by his own standards and admissions, he would probably say that he's not hit the heights that that he would be expecting, um, particularly after bursting onto the scene after that really slow start to the season and and things and and after the QPR games and, and other things that stand out. And yeah, um, we were speaking earlier on in the season about difference makers at championship level are worth their weight in gold. And I don't think many other people on the pitch score the goal in the manner that Sigurdsson did actually you know I wouldn't be expecting many of the other players to to be able to fashion that chance because he still had to fashion it a little bit as much as Smodic has played a lovely touch around the corner as you say there's still a lot to do so I think it just oozed quality and um, when you've not been on red hot form recently you know it's a very missable chance despite how good that first touch is you know he could have easily popped that ball wide or hit it straight at the keeper or, or whatever so to finish with with a plum in, in the way that he did. I think you're right with your assessment around that ice-cold finishing, no pun intended. Um, ice-cold. Ice well, yeah, I expect nothing less. It's uh, it's all good. Cheering me up with this cold. And I'll say it for what it was, Elliot. You know, up until that goal, you know, that first half an hour, it was a boring game. Um, it was very much two sides that, you know, have, have been slogging it out in the championship in recent months in in Rovers' respects, you know, a, a very thin and, and stretched squad and, and carrying the injuries. And and as we've been reflecting on on the pod in recent weeks, when the onus is on Rovers to, to stamp their authority, although we have seen it, you know, in the first parts of games, Swansea at home, Birmingham at home in particular, where we've started well, we've then lost our way a little bit. I actually don't think we had that fast start in the same way in this game last night either. It was just a very flat half an hour. And I'm always confident, you know, at home though, particularly if it is nil-nil at half time, because I always fancy ourselves going into the Blackburn end. So even before the Sigurdsson goal, I'm thinking, right, get them in at half time, dust them down a little bit, give them some instruction, get the job done in front of the Blackburn end. So the goal was a bonus actually when it came, um, because it really came out of nowhere, didn't it? You know, Mm. Rovers weren't banging 
down the door. We weren't really fashioning chances. We weren't really putting Bristol City under pressure. And Bristol City actually had a little spell for five, ten minutes where they started to pressure us as well. So I thought, I thought there was it quite was... a lot of parallels to the Birmingham City game, which they ended up winning 4-2, but that was pretty slow. Well, Rovers started all right, but then sort of lost the way. It got a bit slow, a bit um, a bit stodgy in there. And, and then they obviously blitzed them after half-time. But I thought there was parallels to that first half. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And, and ultimately, we've had to work really hard to get that lead because, yeah, you know, to fashion that chance, you still have to defend well, work hard over the pitch. You know, the likes of Tronstad ratting it out around the pitch and things like that. You still have to get the baseline of your performance right. And I felt we got the baseline of the performance right without those no-frills elements uh, or with those no-frills elements. Sorry, there wasn't that swagger. There wasn't that style that there usually is. And do you know what? You have these games at championship level. You have them. There are times when you have to grind it out. There are times when you have to slog it out. And I thought Rovers, in particular from when we got that goal, did that really well for the rest of the game. I thought it was a good performance in in that sense without the style, swagger, goals that, that we've seen recently. Let's talk about Niall Ennis. He started up front, his first championship start for Blackburn Rovers. Uh, he got 45 minutes. We were all bricking it a little bit when he went off at half-time, worried that he picked up another another injury, but it wasn't the case. It was a pre-planned change. He was going to maximum have an hour, 45 minutes potentially. Jon didn't want to use one of his substitute windows, so that's why he, he chose to take him off at half-time. I didn't think he did loads in the game, but I thought he stood in the right areas, which sounds really basic, but he was just a bit more of a focal point. He was in the sort of places that you'd expect your number nine to be. It made it a little bit easier to bounce passes off off of him. He sort of occupied the defenders a little bit more. And ultimately, we've we just got to hope that this is the start of him uh, kick-starting his, his Blackburn Rovers career because it's been so stop-start since since he came to the club. You know, we're in mid-December and for neither of the two summer signing strikers to have started a championship game until last night is not a great look, ultimately, when goals were the big problem last year. So hopefully... He didn't really get any sights of goal, um, but we've seen he can finish in the cup games when he's played. So hopefully this is this is a positive start. Yeah, I thought we saw some really encouraging signs. I think you're right. You know, let's not sit here and, and make up an alternative version of the truth. You know, he's not absolutely, uh, you know, destroyed Bristol City. But I think we've seen some really encouraging signs with a, a few things. His ability to take a challenge, actually. So... Being able to, you know, just stick your backside out a bit, feel the contact from the centre-back and play off a striker. I thought he did that um, especially well last night. Uh, and then, as you say, those those positional elements as well, his willingness to get in the box. There were a couple of times where maybe a better first touch or something a bit more clinical. He probably does fashion a chance for himself. And he had that chance that was blocked, wasn't he, by the defender as well. So maybe on another day when he's a bit more match fit, um, you know, he's having a couple of shots on target or indeed a goal. But... I thought we saw encouraging signs for me to be able to play differently to what we might do if we've got Harry Leonard or Sam Gallagher on the pitch. Just being able to play off a central presence, which might allow the likes of Sans Modic to get on beyond. I think that that's something that JDT might well look at going through the season, particularly when you've got those three games in a week, for example, where you might need to just do the traditional stick a big lad up front type approach. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and it's really important that Rovers do have alternatives up front because Tyrese Dolan's obviously now out for two months, having led the line as a false nine. I don't particularly like Sam Smodix in that role. I don't think it's the best from him. And we're going to see peaks and troughs from Harry Lennon. And I think we saw that in the last two performances, to be honest. I think there were two of his poorer displays this season. Um, really struggled against Leeds, against two really experienced international centre-backs. I didn't think he was great either when he came on. 
um, last night up front. And but that's okay. That that that's that's what should happen. That's natural for a a twenty year old's development in his his first real breakout season at first team level. So they're gonna need Niall Ennis to get himself up to speed. They're gonna need to hopefully see something from Telelovic, although I'm not holding my breath. Um, and hopefully that they'll have some more alternatives as we go into this very busy run of games. I want to talk about Scott Wharton, um, who of course headed in the second goal, um, which was a great start for Rovers, a couple of, what was it, eight minutes on the clock to make it 2-0. And he's someone that's had to be really, really patient this calendar year. His, his performances have got better and better with each game since he came back into the team. Um, I thought he was really good against Leeds. I thought he was exceptional last night. First half in particular, really, really good. Didn't put a foot wrong. Won the ta- won his tackles, confident playing out from the back, good distribution, um, kept Conway quiet. And it's really good to see because I think at Blackburn, I think at his best, Scott Wharton is a very consistent um championship defender. And that you know, he's got his flaws like everyone does at championship level. They wouldn't be playing, they'd be playing in the Premier League if that wasn't the case. But even when he's come in for one or two games this calendar year, he's not looked at his best. He's looked a little bit shaky in some moments. But having a consistent run of games, we are now seeing the best of him, I think, probably since Jon took charge, really. And 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 let's not forget, he was a mainstay in the team under Tony Mowbray in the last season, particularly in that back three with, with Van Heck and Lenehan on the right. So this is a person that's obviously come through the ranks, 26 now, which which is one of the older members in the Rovers squad with the way the makeup is at the moment. And I just thought it was a really great moment for him to score at the Blackburn end. Obviously, Adam Wharton putting the cross in. And for all the furore about Adam and, and obviously him signing this new five-year deal this week, or last back end of last week, it's, it was really good for me to, to see Scott continue that resurgence because he's had to be patient. There's been some people doubting him. You know, the, the sub-appearance at Deepdale wasn't ideal in particular. And now he's producing consistency. And it's really hard, especially for a defender, to come in and be right at that level because you've not got that sharpness and it's not as easy. You're less likely to come off the bench as a defender as well. You're not picking up those 10, 15 minutes off the bench like an attacker will, even if you're out of the team. So I think we're now seeing the benefits of a consistent run in the in the side. Um, and I thought he was excellent against against Bristol City and, and he deserves his flowers as such. He absolutely does. And I think you're right to say that it was his best performance under JDT. And what a difference a year makes. You know, it was just over a year ago when he got left out of that squad at Turf Moor. And, and it's kind of been that downward trajectory ever since. And I think I've got, if all I've got Rovers a pretty time... remarkable stat for you, Ryan, just while we're on it. Mm. Uh, the last time that Scott Walton started for Blackburn Rovers at Ewood Park and they won in the championship was October last year against Birmingham. When Adam Wow. Scored. Yeah. I didn't know that stat. Elliot bringing out the stats. Love that. I can't take full credit for that. In fairness, that was um, a Neil Ardley special, which uh, he told me in the press room beforehand. So I'm not taking credit. But well, you need to. Whilst I'm just doing this little piece, if you need to Google it, then do. But was this the first time that Adam Wharton assisted Scott Wharton? No, um, they did it against Birmingham against Nottingham Forest in the cup last year. That one I was aware of, and um, that was the free okay. kick that Adam floated in and Scott headed in. Um, so it's the second time. The first time it's happened in the Championship. And ah, oh, Elliot bringing the goods. He knows his stuff. He knows it. Um, what, but what yes, Scott, a broken clock is right twice a day. 
<laughs> that's the mantra of my life, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, but yeah, Scott Wharton, you know, what a difference a year makes with being left out of that squad at Turf Moor and, and that downward trajectory ever since. And I think if Rovers fans were being honest with themselves, I think we've all had those periods of doubting Scott Wharton and his ability. I think he's been really unfortunate that Dom Hyam and Hayden Carter have been so good and then throw in James Hill as well, who's also been exceptionally good. I think the lens through which Scott Wharton is being judged has also changed um, over that calendar year. Um, so I'm delighted for Scott Wharton to you know, stick a proverbial middle finger up to the Rovers fans to say, actually, don't doubt me. Um, you know, I'm still the man here. It was a brilliant header away at Stoke. Brilliant header last night. Which Probably is their best header of the ball, I think. Yeah, he's an absolute threat from set pieces, definitely. And again, look what happens when you put a corner in and, and allow people to attack it. But, um, you know, last night's goal is ultimately the match-winning goal, which is probably being lost a little bit in in some of the post-match stuff that I'm seeing. But I'm delighted for him because we speak about the academy lads, we speak about the homegrown talents, and, and Scott Wharton is one of those, and, and let's not forget him. So I owe Scott Wharton a bit of an apology for for maybe writing him off a, a little bit at times over the last year. And do you know what? Dom Hyam has, has got a bit of a problem when he gets back to match fitness because if I was JDT, as good as Dom Hyam is, Scott Wharton is absolutely a name on the team sheet at the moment with those Jon has tended to go with the players in form and the players that have got the shirt as well. So it will be really interesting yeah. to see how that develops. Yeah, I thought he was excellent yesterday. I really do. And and all those things that, that we have reflected on around, you know, looking a bit shaky, not looking confident playing out from the back, not looking match fit, looking a bit rusty. None of that was on show last night. I thought it was just a very, very solid performance. And, and Conway's a decent striker, you know. I, you yeah. kept him very quiet, as you say. So brilliant from Scott Wharton. And um, just a word on the Rovers' Twitter admin as well. Um, the reply that they did <laughs> to the Bristol City one. Absolutely fantastic to to have the Scott Wharton goal as as the reply to theirs. Yes, uh, Mark, who runs the uh, the socials for Rovers, is uh, he's getting a bit of a reputation. Did it to Birmingham um, a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, there's obviously been a bit of beef with Swansea over the last couple of years as well. So good content that we like to see. Of course, it wasn't. Well, this is part of Rovers were talking about. So it was a nervy finish to end the game. Um, pretty much, you know, not long after they got two 0 up, they let. Bristol City back into the game. It was not. I don't think it's a great pass from Hayden Carter into midfield, but Morin's got to do a lot better. I thought, in general, I thought Morin was really poor, probably the worst game he's had in a Rover shirt. And again, he's a teenager. He's 19 years old. He's played a lot of football. He's going to have poor games, but he certainly, for me, looked someone that was leggy and that looked off the pace of the game. His touch was loose. He gives the ball away for the, the goal. Obviously, that gets Bristol City back in the game. Probably someone that needs to come out of the team maybe at the weekend just to give him a bit of a break because he's played a lot of football recently and been very good. So, you know, one bad performance is not uh, indicative of his loan spell at all. But yeah, I thought he struggled. It was a good finish from Mark Sykes. They worked the ball out to the right and nothing Wallstead could do about that. And it set up this nervy finish, which we've had at Ewood in, in countless games. We had it against the against Birmingham. Again, another parallel that second half to the Birmingham game where Rovers are in control and let the opposition back in. That's a young team. You know, that's what happens. Walstead made a few good saves. Um, I, I thought it was probably his best game potentially as well in a Rovers shirt. Certainly from the sort of 
the aspects that we've been most critical of, or, or maybe not, not as strong as critical, but the areas we've wanted to see improvement from, which has been dominating his area, coming and claiming crosses, not flapping at the ball and punching it unnecessarily. Those are the bits where we've wanted more from Walstead and to see that development, that those are his targets set by us. And I thought we certainly saw that against Bristol City. There's a few points, particularly in stoppage time, where the ball's hoisted in and he just comes and, and relieves all that pressure on his defence. Pulled off a couple of good saves from Jason Knight, which um, his shot stopping, I think, has generally been quite good. I think his distribution's been excellent and I think the area to work on has been commanding his box. And I think we saw an improvement, certainly, in that in the in the closing stages at, uh, against Bristol City. Yeah, I'll come on to Walsh in in a moment, but I made the danger of um, when that second goal went in, uh, I started thinking about what I was going to tweet at full time. Have you I not watched Blackburn Rovers before? Right? I know, like, just, you know, when we say like broken clocks, what's the definition of insanity? You know, all of those types of things, you know, I, I started thinking because I thought that, you know, we'd work so damn hard to, to get to 2-0 at that stage and just with the way that the game was and and the lack of threat from both sides, really, it just felt like the game would peter out to 2-0 and, and it would have been a different type of, of 2-0 win from Rovers. They don't do so, meandering results. No, they don't. And we don't like having a positive goal difference. It's like, oh, we've got a positive goal difference. We better concede a goal. It's just annoying, isn't it? But um, yeah, it, it's really unfortunate the way it happens and, and very, very avoidable. And, and we made that game much harder than and what it ought to be because actually we were... Uh, just reward for for the 2-0 victory at that point. Um, I think you're right about Morin. Um, again, this is why we have squads. This is why young players are managed, etc., etc. It was a very tired performance from him yesterday. But make no mistake, he set himself very high standards playing for Rovers in recent totally. weeks. So he just dropped down to that kind of 6 out of 10 level, which, you know, for him is, you know, that's why it's going to look like that. So, yeah, it was... Um, my criticism is more in receiving the pass in, in the central mid area there. I've just spoken about Ennis and his ability to ride a challenge, take the contact from behind, firing a ball into more and in that centre mid area. I'm just questioning that a little bit, but I know you reflected that it happened a lot against Leeds as well. Um, mm. So that's maybe one for Jan to look at. And yeah, um, it set up that grandstand finish and Walshtet absolutely deserves uh, the plaudits here because he has been flappy. And he hasn't filled us with confidence up until this point. And I think you're right about the shot-stopping stuff. But I tell you what, last night, it reminded me of Kaminsky, um, the way that that he was doing that. That confidence that we've got in the goalkeeper to just come and command and take the pressure off. I had all of those flashbacks, like my true love, you know, harking back to Thomas Kaminsky. Go, Ryan, he's gone, he's gone. I know, he, he has gone. And it's great to see him do well for Luton as, as much as it breaks my heart. But well, Walsh the definition was of that meme where it's um, it's a crying face and it's got the smiley over the top of it. <laughs> that is me. But yeah, Walsh was excellent um, with all that stuff that we've been critical of. And I'll tell you what, the save that is underrated last night is the one in stoppage time when he comes and does that Schmeichel-esque flap Mm. he's committed at that point and yeah. he has to go big. And if he doesn't get that right, that's been headed he across He could bring him box. down for a penalty as well if he doesn't get it right. Yeah. But I thought he had real conviction in what he was doing at that point. So all elements of that, you know, the Schmeichel save, the command of his box, the shot stopping he was doing, that really gave Rovers a great baseline because we did have that 10, 15 minute wobble after Br uh, Bristol City scored. So, um, you know, any championship game of football where there's a goal in it, you are always vulnerable to the sucker punch at the end. And they also had someone who could throw long throws into the box as well. So Walsh Depp absolutely deserves his plaudits uh, for his part in that last night. He, he was excellent. 
as much as we praised Scott Wharton and uh, Walstead in, in the last couple of minutes, top of my power rankings at the minute is Sondre Tronstad. He is absolutely fantastic. He was so good again. I thought he was Rovers' best player against Leeds. I thought he was the best player. Well, I thought he, I gave him and Scott nines, so joint man of the match as such in my player ratings. But I thought Tronstad was excellent again. It's, there was the very English moment where he put in a brilliant slide tackle and the response from the crowd was if he just belted one into the top corner from 30 yards. And I thought that was very typically English uh, football. But he, he did a couple of them and his numbers uh, speak for themselves in terms of defensive work rate. But I think what's really underrated is his, his passing ability, you know, his ability on the ball. He's never going to hit 60-yard diagonal balls. But what he can do is... It can keep it simple at times and circulate the ball around the back line, which is what you have to be able to do because Rovers play a you know a possession-based system playing out from the back. So you need someone who can just turn the ball around, move it left to right. But what he is really good at is getting the ball on the half turn and punching it into those number 10 areas. And I thought he did that a few times in the first half um, to, Sm- uh, to Sigurdsson, to Smodix, to Morin. And the touches just let them down a little bit and, and did, nothing really came from it. But that was nothing to do with the, the, the service into the front line. And I think that was the sort of thing that Jon wasn't seeing enough of. I think he was seeing too many backwards passes and, and probably not being quite up to the pace of the championship in those early weeks when he wasn't in the team. But I definitely think we're seeing more and more of that. Defensively, he's excellent. He's actually got some experience in the team in a crucial position. He brings the best out of Adam Wharton and lets him go further forward and, and create and not worry about those defensive responsibilities. And I just think he's been, with each passing game, he looks like more and more of a shrewd addition on a free transfer. And it's just great to see. And it's great to see someone who's above the age of 20. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely good. And um, yeah, he is getting better and better. And I, it's you're absolutely right to give that 9 out of 10 last night because I think we saw all elements of, of Sondre Tronstad on show last night. I will just give a shout out to my son who, when we signed Tronstad, I don't know how or why, but took an instant shine to Tronstad and, and we purchased a Norway flag. Before so you've the got a Norway started. flag, haven't you? We have got a Norway flag. And at the time I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, Sigurdsson, Smodic, you know, but fair play to, to Archie, my son. You know, he's he's followed Tronstad all season and met him after a game and things like that. But Nice bloke. It's well. great. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a really nice bloke and he's had his little baby after games and things. Just looks every much the proud dad, doesn't he? But um, I think that stuff you were talking about, the half turn, you know, he has had a tough season himself, actually. If we remember that he started that game against West Brom, didn't he? Came off about the 60-minute mark. start was against team. UPR mid-October. Yeah, so that's a long time to get yourself up to speed. So the last couple of months that he's had, you know, he is absolutely one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. And we've spoken about Lewis Travis a lot on this podcast. And for me, anyone that does keep Lewis Travis out of this side, club captain and what he brings to the midfield and the presence that he is, you've absolutely got to be worth your salt. And and Tronstad um, is absolutely commanding and cementing that place hands down at the moment. So as you say, the bits that we've just seen develop over time, I think, positionally he's always been fantastic his ability to intercept and rat out the passes and spot the danger he has got a a really good knack of doing that but those bits as you say that ball playing stuff now some of the stuff you'd probably associate more with Adam Wharton that has been the stuff that's been a real joy to see and and I've seen some of the stats um I can't remember which Twitter account put them out but he was top for quite a lot of things like a telegraph page oh it was you was it sorry it was uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not doing my uh, my advertising well there. But yeah, you ran the stats, didn't you, about tackles, interceptions, passes, all of that. 
you know, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? So he is definitely one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. And as we see with players like uh, Declan Rice and, and other players at all levels of football, it's a really important part of the pitch. Casimiro in that Real Madrid side. What he's saying is Sandro Tronstad is a hundred million pound midfielder. He absolutely is in my eyes. Yeah, he's uh, he's an certainly in Archie's great... eyes. <laughs> yeah, definitely in Archie's eyes. But you know, it's it's a real unattractive position on the pitch. You don't get the plaudits, but boy, do you notice them when they're not there, and boy, do you notice them when they are there. And and I think that's Sandro Tronstad at the moment. He's brilliant, excellent. Uh, one of the, the eye-raising things before the game was uh, 15-year-old Rory Finneran, I can't say his name, Finneran, there we go, I got there in the end, um, on the bench for Rovers, which was a great moment because um, young Irish lad, he's been through the academy since he was eight, um, joined under eight's level, um, they've got, he's been offered a scholarship, club are quite hopeful that he'll sign that, there's quite a lot of interest from some of the big boys as well because he's, he's technically very good, uh, you know, he's been described as sort of Adam Wharton levels in terms of his technical ability. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean, you know, things have got to translate and there's a big step up in terms of all facets of the game, but clearly someone very talented on the on the ball. And with a stretch squad, you know, the, the, it wasn't a case of, oh, we're down to the bare bones, here's a 15-year-old. He, he sort of, he's been training with the first team a little bit. He's played for the under-18s a few times. And they just wanted to give him a flavour of what first-team football looks like, what the pathway can be at Bradburn Rovers. I just thought it was a really nice moment for, for him to be involved. Um, I'm, I'm um, reliably informed he's got chemistry this morning, which is quite funny. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, yeah, it's it's great to see him involved. But um, 2008 date of birth makes me absolutely sick. Um, that's just not right. He, and that's just... He was about four months old when Man United last won the Champions League. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, what is there to say about that? What was I doing in 2008? You know, I was graduating from university. Um, you know, Probably that makes still me recovering really from old. two guy leaving. Yeah, definitely that as well. So, um, but no, it's great to see. And, and as much as, yeah, it's about showing him the pathway and, and hopefully we can get him tied down longer term. The bit that I'd like to, to flag with this is the player trading model that, that Greg is, is obviously going to try and do here. Because actually, if you've got a a Finneran coming through and um, you know when he gets to 18 19 Adam Wharton's going to be what 23 24 if we do end up selling Adam Wharton well you've got your next one in the production pipeline from the academy in Finneran so for me it's no coincidence that he's made the bench and maybe we're looking at that with Adam Wharton if and when we sell him at the right point in the future Finneran's the next one to kind of replicate and do that so I think it's another great show for what the recruitment department are trying to do the player training model that Greg's trying to instill um, and just, as you say, a great experience for him. It beats doing your homework, doesn't it, on a Tuesday night? Probably should talk about Adam Wharton's new deal while while you uh, sort of bring that, that topic up. He's a new, improved five-year deal, of course. <laughs> Literally, the response to every, like my tweet, the first like 10 responses was, release clause, release clause, release clause. Um, I spoke to, we interviewed Adam before the game for Bristol City. He says there is no release clause as far as he is aware. So obviously, with the caveat, he's not a lawyer and he's probably not gone through the contract with a fine tooth comb. He's not aware that there is any contract and uh, any release clause in this new deal. And I think it's important to distinguish there is a big difference between him signing this new deal and someone like Ash Phillips, for example. Ash Phillips could have walked away for free. Rovers had basically got a gun to their head and just had to agree. Rovers did not have to do this new contract if they didn't want to. They got him tied down until 2027. He's a boyhood 
Rovers fan, not really going to kick up a fuss. They've got a good relationship with the agency. Doing this deal probably improves Adam's wages and his terms, but it gives them an extra year of security. Um, and it's just, just positive all around. There's, there is no, unless there was a release clause. And even if there was a release clause, it's going to be set quite high, isn't it? Because Rovers didn't have a gun to their head. They didn't have to do it. There's not going to be a £10 million release clause. Adam says he doesn't think there is one. So this is just win, win, win. Let's look at where we were as a squad. Um, even two years ago, just as JDT was coming, the the value in the squad was very low. You know, losing players like Rothwell, Lenihan, Nyambi on freeze, knowing that Brereton Diaz is going to leave on a free as well. Bradley Dack obviously going on a free. You know, there was not really... There's like £20 million pounds, like minimum worth of player value that just exactly won't be nothing. So with those lengths of contract that we had at, at that point, no value in the squad. So the work that Greg and the team have done behind the scenes to get all these lads signed onto these contracts, bar Dolan and, and maybe one other that you're going to tell me. Um, Sam Gallagher, but that's Sam got Gallagher, an option yeah. and that's, you know, Rovers is yeah. or it's still in full control of that situation. We have value in this squad now. So Rovers are in a really strong position here because, you know, if we have players that are hitting form, whether it's JRC, whether it's Adam Wharton, whether it's Sam Smodic and, and players and clubs fancy those players, well, we can absolutely call the shots now with with these players in contract. And Adam Wharton for me is 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 kind of the um the epitome of what Greg's trying to do here because I have I've got no doubt he's gonna play Premier League football, hopefully with Rovers. And I'm fairly certain he's going to leave us at some point if we've not got promoted ourselves. Hmm. So a Rose lot of need him to go in terms of they've got they've got FFP to consider. They've got to regenerate exactly. the squad. Exactly that. So having him on that long contract, it just makes complete business sense. It's really smart, really intelligent, and it allows all those future years to stem off that. So it's great that we've got that deal done. Great that we've created more value for Adam Wharton. Um, Bit of a, a Rishi answer um, with he doesn't know of a release clause as far no, as I put him, in fairness. It's not for him to really answer, but I put I, I asked him and put him on the spot. He said he, he said he doesn't think there is. He said he said no. He said you know I'm not a lawyer. He didn't say I don't think. He sort of said I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but I'm not aware of one and I don't think there is one. It doesn't sound like there is. I'm I'm jesting and joking and um, leave him alone. Yeah, it, hey, leave yeah, leave alone. him alone. <laughs> but no, it's just absolutely incredible news for us and, and hopefully we get to see him for a few more years yet and, and he helps us get promoted to the Premier League but do you know what if we don't get promoted and we do end up selling him what we know now is we're going to get the price that we deserve for a talent like Adam Wharton so fantastic news brilliant yeah totally completely agree um, and that that's great news let's move on to Southampton at the weekend it's going to be a very tough game you're making the journey in the car I'm going on the train and they have the sixth best home record in the league with 20 points from the last from the first 10 games six wins in there most of those have come in recent time too because obviously Southampton had a pretty tricky start under Russell Martin and have since been in good form Rovers have got the 24-hour advantage which is nice for a change I was thinking earlier of all the midweek games this season, I don't think Rovers have played on a Tuesday night, really. It's generally been Wednesday. So they will have a 24-hour advantage with Southampton playing tonight. Um, and it's going to be tricky. It's going to be a tough game. They're obviously... It'll be interesting to me tactically how they go about it because generally Rovers don't sit in a low block. They go and chase the opposition. They go and press. But you'll remember the game against Swansea last year at um, the Liberty Stadium or the Swansea.com Stadium as it is now, which was Jon's first away game, second game of the season. Sat really deep, counter-attacked, 1-3-0. So where do they go for that approach again against 
such a possession-heavy style? Maybe not, because I think, again, um, Southampton have got much better players in forward areas than that uh, than that team had at Swansea. They had Peru, but you know, you've got Armstrong, you've got Alcaraz, you've got Sulemana, um, Shea Adams, whatever they go with, they've got quality in there. So I'll be intrigued to see if whether they go for it or whether they drop off. And obviously, a first is it a first reunion? First time Adam, uh, Adam Armstrong's played Rovers, I think, since he left? Yes, I think so. And yeah. we know what's going to happen there then, don't we? Um, superstitious Ryan. But um, yeah, what a player he was for us, Adam Armstrong, and, and just a lovely lad as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough um, to to think about how we'll approach this game because in one respect, I just think, well, invariably away from home, you know, we've had our joy when we've gone for the opposition, when we've been proactive, when we've played our style. Um, and albeit, yes, we've lost other games like Ipswich away, but actually, again, a really good show for ourselves and things like that. But the tiredness in this squad really does bother me. You know, how... a little bit where they sat in a little bit, but generally they've gone fire for fire. Yeah, they have. And the tiredness, you know, how able are we to to keep that level of performance up at a tough place to go? So I, I am wondering if we might do that that sit in just with what we've got available. And, and I think you're right to raise Stoke, actually, you know, because I was focusing on what you said about Swansea. But actually, the way that Stoke game panned out, get the early goal um, and then we're able to sit, aren't we? So um, out of the top four teams, it's one where I think our style versus their style with kind of all things even, I'd really fancy our chances going away to Southampton and think Probably, that we yeah. could definitely hurt them. But it's just their squad depth versus our squad tiredness and lack of depth at the moment are the things that are just making me feel anxious a bit about it. And might just lend us more towards an approach that we've not really seen away from home because as much as we've got the 24-hour advantage, it's still a midweek game that we've had and we've still put a massive shift in against Leeds, put a massive shift in against Bristol City and then it's a long journey down to Southampton. So tiredness, I think, might dictate things here and I think Stoke, as you say, is is a good comparison. I, I could see a game like that, actually. What do you think team-wise... I don't know who's going to play up front. That's the bigger one for me. I think James Hill comes back in for Morin, maybe. I thought Morin looked like he needs a break. So maybe James yeah. comes in at right back. Britain pushes further up on that right-hand side. Sigurdsson keeps his place on the left. And I think everything else stays the same. It's who do you go with up front? It's probably too much too soon for Niall Ennis to start a second game in a week. But Leonard's yeah. probably had two of his weaker performances of the season in the last two. So I don't really, they don't really, the only other option is putting Sam Smodix up there as a false nine and maybe bringing Trav, Travis into midfield. But I don't, I don't really want to do that either because that's not Sam Smodic's best role. So maybe Harry gets the nod again. Yeah, I think based on what we saw in midweek, I think it will be Harry Leonard that starts because clearly we're still managing the fitness of, of Niall Ennis and things. And it is, you know, it's a hard game. It's, it's a tough one out there. I really like the Callum Britton moving forward down the right because that reminds me of Millwall, the Millwall game where we look really dangerous down that right-hand side with James Hill as a right-back, Callum Britton down that side as well. And, and albeit we did have JRC as well, but you know we've got quality in midfield for someone else to to link up with those two. So if it was me, yeah, I would give more an arrest, have his impact from the bench because I think if we're being honest, when it has been people like Mark Hande coming off the bench, we've not seen the impact maybe that we'd want. So having Moran into that second half, if the game is tight, if we have sat in, if it is nil-nil, having Moran that can find that pass, thread something through maybe, I think would be a really attractive option in in that second half. Um, so yeah, I would agree with your assessment there. On Lewis Travis, 
we have just reflected, haven't we, about the tiredness in the squad and actually bringing Trav in gives you the opportunity to... Who comes out, though, unless you're going to not play Leonard? Yeah, exactly. Um, whether I don't he, see how he, he plays, really, unless Leonard doesn't play in Smodic's no. false nine. <laughs> That's right. Excuse me. Um, you know, because you can't take Tronstad and Wharton out um, with what we've just been saying. So, yeah, maybe Trav, unfortunately, on the bench again, which is um, which is a shame for him at this moment in time. Mm. Predictions. So, yeah. What are you going for? I'm actually going to predict off second draw of the season. Um what were you saying about me under your breath? I think it might be a draw. I agree. All oh, right. I thought I thought you were bad mouthing my prediction. No, I, I like to bad mouth you loud and proud, not uh <laughs> that. I do I re- I do fancy us to show a good account of ourselves at, at St. Mary's. I, as much as yes, they're fourth and we've reflected on, you know, how good the top four are this season. We shouldn't go down there with fear or blind panic or anything like that. And actually away at Ipswich, you know, we put in a really positive performance and, and showed our worth in that sense. So if we can just manage the minutes a bit, if we can just manage the energy levels and all of those things, uh, I do fancy us to grind out that draw 1-1. Um, I think Rovers will take the lead and then possibly be pegged back. That's how I see by it. By Adam Armstrong, by no doubt. Uh, by Adam Armstrong. I, I, yeah. tend to agree, I tend to agree with you, to be fair. I, I think I could see a one all draw. Um, again, I kind of feel like Rovers need to score first. I do think stylistically, as you said earlier, I think it was a good point that of, of all the top four, um, this one's probably the best fit for Rovers to cause some damage on the counter-attack in transition. And the away form is really good. You know, they have been very good yeah. away from home, um, notwithstanding that recent loss to Sheffield Wednesday, which obviously the big moments in that game dictated the, the result of that one. So I kind of agree with you. I, I could see a one-all draw for Rovers and that would be a really great result. And, you know, I've, you know if they could get four points from a week with Leeds and Southampton and, and Bristol City, you'd have to say fair enough. We'll, we'd have took that before beforehand and keep them in touching distance of the top six that's all for this week's podcast thank you for listening as always make sure you are subscribed to Arte Labore in your podcast app of choice make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers on Twitter and check out the site for the most comprehensive Rovers coverage this season you can support the Lancashire Telegraph to support local journalism you'll get a better reading experience with fewer ads some subscriber only content and you get access to our free app as well um, you can go to the lancashiretelegraph.co.uk and forward slash subscribe and because it's Christmas there's an offer of three pounds for three months or an annual subscription at 31 pounds which is a big discount so if uh, if you want to give someone the gift of reading blackburn rovers then that is the place to do so thank you for listening uh, and we'll speak to you again very soon